and to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we greet you in the name of him who is more than able. In case you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Amen. I first want to take this opportunity to take care of some housekeeping. What I mean by that is I want to take this moment in time to thank you, Macedonia. Thank you for allowing me to facilitate the pulpit. Thank you to the executive committee. Thank you so much for the confidence that you had in me to carry this awesome task out. Macedonia, you are such a wonderful church. Thank you for all your well wishes, your encouragement, for everything that you do. I want to let you know that I appreciate you. And my grandmama taught me a long time ago, boy, when anybody do anything nice for you, you ought to say thank you. Amen. I would be remiss, though, if I didn't take this opportunity to thank you, Pastor Twyman. Thank you for pouring into me. See, our pastor is a wonderful coach. Amen. And he, if you avail yourself to him, if you sit at his feet, Wisdom comes. And so, Pastor, I want to thank you for all that you have shared with me as it relates to this ministry. It makes good sense to listen to somebody who's been doing this for a mighty long time. Thank you, Pastor Twyman. I hope that you know that I love you and I respect you. Amen. Amen. And that might make some people feel a certain way. Ask me if I care. <laughs> I don't care. I love my pastor. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, yeah, God bless you. To the task at hand, given the historical moment that we are participating in, I think it would be good for us to be reminded of who we are in Christ. And I want to draw your attention to a familiar passage of scripture located in 2 Timothy in that first chapter. We're going to uplift for your hearing starting at the fifth verse. We're going to read five through seven and twelve. Very pertinent passage of scripture. And again, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. This is Paul's last letter to his son in the ministry, Timothy. 
Second Timothy chapter one, beginning at that fifth verse, it says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Verse 12 reads, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I want to share with us from the thought, equip to endure equipped to endure. There are a number of occupations that exist in this life that requires us to have the proper equipment. If you are a chef, you should be equipped with various utensils, pots, pans, stove, and an oven. If you are a doctor, you should be equipped with an education, with training, with certain procedures in terms of carrying out your specialty. If you are a pitcher for a baseball team, well, you can't pitch without a ball. There are some things in life that we have to be equipped for. And when I thought about that, I thought about us as the body of Christ. How are we equipped? How are we equipped especially in moments of change, in moments when we don't know what is going to happen. Indeed, I tell you that, if, in case you didn't know, life is changing. You are changing. The fact of the matter is we are all changing. I don't look like I did yesterday. I'm changing. So the question before is, how as Christians, how are we equipped to endure when life changes? When things that we don't know, the unexpected comes about. Well, the Apostle Paul 
is going to share some words with us that's going to help us to know exactly how we are equipped to endure. The word endure means to come up under. There's a weight, there's a pressure, there's, there's something that's tangible that we have to come up under in order to be strengthened. And even in this moment, in this historical point of time in the life of our church, trust me when I tell you that God has equipped us to endure. If you don't hear me say nothing else, please understand and know that the God that we serve has equipped you and I with all the resources that we need in order to endure every change, every circumstance, every situation that we face in life. And he has equipped us specifically with his word and the presence of his Holy Spirit. So walk with me through the text. It's not lost on me that this historical significance of this day, that this is a day that we are voting on a new pastor. For some of us, it's been a journey of ups and downs, of tears, of heartache, of pain, of frustration, of confusion, and a lot of us, quite plainly, are just tired. Do I have a witness in here? But change is never easy. Change is necessary. You see, we don't know what's going to happen, but we know who is in control. God is in control. I remind us that it is God who gives us a pastor in accordance to his word in Jeremiah 3.15, he says that, listen, and I will give you shepherds after my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Don't get it twisted. Just because you place your vote, your vote doesn't supersede what God is going to give. Paul, this is the prevailing thought that undergirds Paul's letter to his son in the ministry, Timothy. It's a personal letter. It's a letter of urgency, expectation, and anticipation. Specifically, Paul is writing to Timothy with regards to his future as a minister, as a pastor of the gospel. But it also points to Paul's ministry coming to an end. Paul is encouraging Timothy to come and see him in Rome. It's Paul's opportunity to pass on to Timothy what he has been sharing with him for so many years. It's his opportunity to pass the mantle over to somebody else 
to carry it about. And you know what? That's exactly what is taking place today. That Pastor Twyman, through 41 years of service, is now passing the mandate to another man. So the question is, how do we actually know how we are equipped to endure this change? Well, Paul is going to give us three reasons, three things, three principles that you and I can attribute to the fact that God is always in control. Here's what Paul says in verse 5. Paul says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith. And, and, and that word genuine there is unique because actually, right, he's speaking to a, a faith that is without hypocrisy. In other words, he's not talking about a fake faith. He's talking about a real faith. And trust me, brothers and sisters, life will present challenges to you and I that is going to put the mirror up in our face to show what our faith is really made of. Do I have a witness in here? I can remember the words of the, my father in the ministry, Pastor Walker, when he used to say that your faith ain't, is just like a tea bag. It ain't worth nothing till it's placed in some hot water. Do I have a witness in here? We have to remember the foundation that we have. And it's a sure foundation. It's a foundation that's been saturated with prayer. It's a foundation that's been saturated with sacrifice. It's a foundation that's been saturated, that's been consecrated by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul is bringing to Timothy's remembrance of who he is. Macedonia, we need to remember who we are. We're not just a church. We're the church of the living God. And sometimes we need to go back to the foundation of things so that we can appreciate the change that's going to come in the future. Don't fool yourself. We have to remember the foundation of our faith. That no matter what comes, always know that God sits high and he looks low. Timothy has some context in his life. He has some examples in his grandmother and his mother. And all of us have some examples of people that have impacted our lives to help strengthen our faith. There's nothing like, and when I was reading this text, there's nothing like the love of a grandmother. Oh, I miss my grandmama so bad. Lucille Shoemate, sweetest, kindest woman. Nobody could cook like her. Nobody smelled like her. Nobody could talk like her. She just has such an impact on my life. 
And, and I'm proud to say that she got a chance to see her grandson graduate from high school and graduate from college and get married and have children before she went on to glory. Thank you, Mama, for all that you did. But you know what? You and I, are we an example? Are we an example of faith to those that are around us? And listen, your example isn't about your perfection. Your example is through your persistence in what you go through in this life. How do you show up? Do you show up at church one way and another way at home? How do you show up? Is there an example that you are providing to somebody? So that when you are gone, that they can go on because they know what you have poured into them. Listen, we are all here for a reason. And that reason is for you and I to pour our lives into somebody else. Just as Jesus has poured into your life, into my life, we too are commanded to pour into somebody else's. The problem with the church today is that we become selfish. We worried about getting our praise on. We worried about all things that don't pertain to God. If we're going to be equipped to endure, we have to remember the foundation that was set before us. But not only the foundation that's been set before us, but we have to rely on the resilience of our faith. We ought to have a resilient faith. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. And, and, and you know what? It doesn't make sense to take something that doesn't belong to you. Did you hear what I said? Don't take on things that don't belong to you. Fear does not belong with a Christian. Did you hear what I said? Don't get me wrong. There are some things to be concerned about. But the fear that we should have should be the fear of God and not the circumstances and situation that we face. We ought to have a resilient type of faith, and a faith that is equipped to endure no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance. We have to be resilient in our faith. Now, how do we show our resilience? Well, Paul tells us that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's look at power for a moment. Don't you know that you have power? Don't you know that the Holy Spirit resides in you and you have power? And not just any type of power, but God-given power. And that power allows you to see things from a different perspective. No matter what you're going through, God has equipped us with 
his power. If it's hard for you to say amen, maybe you're not experiencing his power. God gives us power. And, 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 and you know what's unique about this power is the fact that God has given it to every single one of us. It is up to you and I to use it. And, you know, you can't use power if you are crowded by fear. Fear and power cannot reside in the same vessel. It's an inherent power. It's a power that nobody else can give us but God. It's a power that wakes you up in the morning when you don't feel like getting up. It's a power that allows you to forgive somebody that did you wrong. It's a power that when you're back up against the wall, you don't fall apart, but you continue to press ahead because you know that God has your best interest at heart. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about his power? That's why Paul, in this benediction in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to what? According to the power that worketh in us. You're so powerful. You're so powerful. If you just know what God has in store for you, you are so powerful. You don't have to be weak. You can be powerful. Even with tears in your eyes, you can be powerful. But not only does Paul talk about the fact that we have power. And what I love about God's power is that my condition does not prevent his power from meeting me at the point of my need. My condition, right, how I find myself, doesn't limit God. In fact, if you was to ask Paul, Paul would tell you in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, when Paul had asked God to remove this thorn from his flesh three times, Jesus responds to him and say, listen, my grace, is sufficient. My grace is more than enough, right? And that for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Don't you know that when you feel like you can't go on any further, when you feel like you can't take another step, don't you know that Jesus is right there with you to help you take another step? He gives us a strength exchange. He exchanges his power for our weakness so that we can move forward and do what he has us to do. Christ will never put you in a situation where you can't succeed. You will never be in a circumstance that you can't overcome. You can never be in a situation that's so bad that God just gives up on you. The problem is we give up on him. He doesn't give up on you and I. I remind you that God specializes 
Anybody know that God specializes and that he can do what no other, no other power but Holy Ghost power can do? Anybody know that God specializes in him? Yes, he does. Macedonia, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Don't depend on your mind. Don't depend on your emotions. Depend on his word and his spirit that dwells in you. And I promise you, then when you come out on the other side, you will have a testimony. You will be able to give praise to God in a way that you have not been able before. Because when we experience God in different ways, when we experience him in different ways, that's an opportunity for us to give him a new praise. Not only are we equipped with power, but we are also equipped with love. And love in this text speaks to the agape love. It's the kind of love that pleases God because this love doesn't seek to increase itself, but this love seeks to meet the need of somebody else. How can you say that you love me, right? And, and, and you won't meet me at the point of my need. Right? Love is what love does. Yeah, I, I, I don't need nobody to tell me that they love me. Why don't you show me that you love me? And here's the best way that you can show that you love me, that if I mess up, you're able to forgive me. That's what love would do. Not a lot of claps on that. <laughs> it's okay. Because we know that we have to operate out of the fruit of the Spirit, which is laid out for us in Galatians chapter 5, beginning at the 22nd verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. How do we operate? Do we operate out of love, out of a true sense of love? This love doesn't require for somebody to pay you back. You do it because you love them. This love doesn't seek to brag and boast on itself. This love seeks to meet the needs of somebody else. That's what makes us the church. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us the body of Christ, how we love one another. And I'm talking about a sincere love. I'm not talking about a love that just agrees with you. I'm talking about a love that will go beyond itself to meet your needs. How do you love today? How do you love? And not to say that love is easy, but the more that you experience God's love, the more that you want to give his love to somebody else. We equipped with power. We are equipped with love. But now, Paul says that we are equipped with a sound mind. 
And when we talk about a sound mind, we're talking about being under self-control. It's literally the direct opposite of fear, if you think about it, right? Fear says that you can't, but a sound mind says that you can with God. Fear says don't do it, but a sound mind says go ahead and do it for the glory of God. It's a unique difference here. All of us are equipped to endure, especially the changes that come in this life. We can endure by his power. We can endure by his love. And we can endure by having a sound mind that is disciplined in the work of the Lord. Don't get weary in well-doing. I know some of us are tired, but don't get weary. And Paul, go ahead and conclude it in verse 12. He says, for this reason, for this reason, I also suffer these things. But even in his suffering, he is not ashamed of the gospel. How about you? What are you ashamed of today? If you're ashamed of anything, turn it over to God because he can make it work out for your good. Paul says that, listen, for I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. Don't you know that that is the foundation of our faith, that we that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the word of God. Paul believed in the finished works of Jesus Christ. He believed in the experiences that he has had with Jesus Christ. What do you believe today? What do you believe? Because trust me when I tell you, life is going to test you on what you say that you believe. What do you believe? Are you like Paul where he says that I am persuaded in other words, that the argument has won me over. I, 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 I don't need nothing else. I'm already persuaded by what the Lord has done in my life. I am persuaded that every circumstance that I face, that God is going to use it for my good. I am persuaded that his love will meet me wherever I am. I am persuaded. What a powerful statement. But I remind us that Paul's writing and words are not coming from a spa that's in Rome. He's pinning and writing these words in a dark, gloomy jail. He's pinning these words as he's looking forward toward his death. But he also is looking beyond his death to see what God has in store for him. Look at what he says here. He says, listen, for I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have, what, committed to him. Don't you know that when you commit your life to Jesus Christ, that you are kept, that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ? Don't you know that everything that you commit to him, he won't lose it. He won't lose track of it. It will be kept until that day. 
Pastor, I love it when you say that I'm preparing for this day, for that day. That day when there will be no more crying. That day where there won't be no more arthritis. That day when the aches and bodies and our pain will go and our bodies will go away. I'm looking forward to that day when I can see him for myself. I'm looking forward to that day because when I see him, the word says I shall be like him. Are you looking forward to that day? It doesn't matter what happens this day. Are you preparing for that day? That day. I don't know when it's going to come, but that day is on its way. That day. When we should be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That day. When I get to sit on the judgment seat of Christ and my works will be tested by fire. That day. That I'm able to maybe get one or two crowns. That day. So I can take my crown and lay it at his feet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That day. Thank you, Jesus. Because his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Right? That we got something to look forward to on that day. In case you didn't know, that Jesus did come down through 42 generations. He healed the sick. He provided sight for the blind. He raised the dead. They took him from judgment hall to judgment hall, and yet they could find no fault with him. They cursed him. They beat him. They spit on him. They tore off his clothes. They blindfolded and slapped him and tell him, who slapped you? And they put him on the old, old rugged cross. And there he hung between two thieves. One of them had, had, had just had enough sense to say, you know what? Just take me with you to paradise. Don't you know that Jesus died on that cross? He was buried in the Umbrella tomb. But the record declares that early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hand. He declared that all the power in heaven and earth is in my hand. And that power that's in Jesus' hand gives us the, uh, help us to be equipped so that we can endure. There might be some.